Hello, everyone, and welcome again for another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Manarani. We've got Antonio. And I'm Antonio Mayo. Sarah Hazi. And we are here today to uh, pull another question from the jar. Sarah, you yep. want to surprise us with another one? <clears throat> All right. Let's see what we've got for today. All right, um, Microsoft 365 is huge. Where would you recommend companies start? Okay. Okay. So we've talked about shades of this, I feel like, in other episodes. I think we've talked about, because there's a lot of directions you could go with this, because you could look at it as security and compliance, where do you start? Application rollout, where do you start? Um, governance, where do you start? Yeah. And we've talked about shades of that uh, in a couple of different episodes. You could yeah. talk collaboration, where do you start? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I've seen different organizations come at this from different angles. I've seen some that are very focused on, we want a better solution to collaborate. And, and everything is about um, how do we share information efficiently? How do we centrally store our info so we're duplicating info less? so that our people are being more efficient so that we can automate stuff. I've seen some come at it from that way. And then I've seen others come at it from, well, we're heavily regulated and we have a very strict retention schedule for documents and sensitive data and we need to classify our documents so they come at it from that way. So I think it depends on who you are and what your priority is. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I've seen I've seen companies also, they have like end of life servers and they really want to get exchange on-premise into the cloud and they look at M365 and all they do is exchange online and they think about everything else later on. Yeah. So to your point, it depends where you come from. Yeah, I've seen that that deadline of we have a big renewal price tag we're going to have to pay in three months and we don't want to do that and we're already paying for M365 or we know we're going there eventually anyway, so let's just get there quick so we can avoid this big price tag. Yeah. Right. Definitely. I think platform obsolescence, but um, Antonio, kind of inherent in what both of you said is understanding the use case first um, and let that guide you down a path of being able to determine where you want to start. Um, and if, you, if you're if you not in Microsoft 365 at all yet, um, the, the predominant uh, wisdom is you start with email first. I would back that up just a second and say you start with identity first. Exactly. And then you quickly sure. move to email. We, right. I, I myself often just, I assume that moving the email means, yeah, your identity's first, of course. But yeah. Yeah, I would I would take another step back. Identity first, security second. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you apply your security settings, your security rules, whatever that you want and you're comfortable with before moving or migrating your mailboxes to exchange and then exploring other services. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree um, where, just to repeat it again, identity first, security next. I would probably as part of that security phase, um, focus only on the most important security items, like security topics. Um, we've talked about that one in another podcast too, things like authentication, multi-factor authentication, um, you know, are you going to allow external sharing or not? So kind of the basics, you know, monitoring, auditing, these kinds of things, because the security ecosystem is vast, right? There's a lot of security technology there. Right. And if you were to try to configure all of it before you move anything in, it would take 
months, if not a year, right? It's not trivial. So um, the basic security capabilities around authentication and identities, um, perhaps devices too. So perhaps enrolling devices in Intune, because that's kind of an important early factor if people are going to use their mobile devices. Um, and then, you know, email security. If, if the first workload you're going to move in is email, and that's what I tend to recommend you, you go to, you know, shortly thereafter, identity and security, then the email security capabilities as well as part of that. And then I naturally see organizations gravitate towards the collaboration uh, traditional tool set, which either means oftentimes SharePoint and Line and OneDrive, if you're going to stand those up, right? They're a licensing toggle in unison. Um, and then Teams. Um, but I see some organizations who go straight to Teams before they really work on the SharePoint Online and OneDrive. But you could also really, from a collab and a file sharing perspective, they kind of naturally, I think, go together. Yeah, exactly. A lot of organizations are going to Teams first, and they're putting some basic governance in terms of pre preventing users from creating sites and putting some technical governance around Teams deployment as well. But Teams have been, the minute you go and you have Exchange deployed, Teams is right away the next one um, these days, uh, rather than SharePoint and OneDrive, even though that you have to enable SharePoint and OneDrive and you have OneDrive enabled automatically. Uh, but they don't think about deploying SharePoint sites before going on into Teams first. Yeah, so I'm working with a client now where we're just finishing up a really large email migration and um, we are immediately moving to Teams. And we've taken the whole Teams rollout and we've broken that up into kind of a crawl, walk, and run phase for Teams. So we're not loading all of Teams at once. We're starting with the, the basic use cases of IM chat, um, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Online meetings, uh, pushing out the uh, Teams app to desktops and the Teams app to mobile devices. Um, we're also doing Skype coexistence because they uh, they still have a need for Skype for business as well for some people. Um, so that's kind of the crawl phase of Teams. The interesting thing is we are not rolling out OneDrive before Teams. We are literally going identities. Um, we did Exchange and MIP. We pushed that out. Um, as part of the exchange rollout. Uh, and then we're moving to Teams without OneDrive because they have some complications with OneDrive and still a lot to figure out there. So that'll so, be interesting. Are you so talking about the OneDrive Sync client? Or are you talking just, any OneDrive. Any so OneDrive. they are not getting a SharePoint license. Where is your Teams documents going to be stored if you're not enabling so, so you can actually, if you give people a Teams license, um, you will be able to create uh, Teams with SharePoint sites um, and uh, even without a SharePoint license. And SharePoint sites will get created and you'll be able to store your documents in a team, um, you know, in a channel, in the files tab in a channel, and it will be in a SharePoint site behind the scenes. What will happen is I am in chat. If you try to share files, that part will fail. So you won't be able to share files through I am in chat. Gotcha. You'll be able to store and share files in teams themselves. Okay. So upon well, discovering that, that are in that position so that's a that's a great little fact yeah, yeah <laughs> to know that you can roll out teams without yeah. enabling OneDrive and it's basically hidden SharePoint sites that you wouldn't never access directly from SharePoint they're only accessed from the teams interface and then the documents are stored in SharePoint that's right that's right and no document sharing via chat or IM that's right that's right no no Just document sharing through that which is a little I don't love that but when I think about all the work that this particular client would have to do to roll out OneDrive, 
um, it, it is getting them to teams much faster. And it is the COVID situation that's driving them to want teams first. Okay. Interesting. So we've we've made our way through identity, security, email, SharePoint Online, OneDrive, and Teams we talked about. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, Power Platform is yeah. interesting. Um, what do you see in terms of companies of when they enable Power Platform? Do they kind of do it in a in a big lump sum with SharePoint Online, OneDrive, and Teams, or do they do it separately? I've seen it done separately. Um, I, um, our organization did it all together, uh, but I've seen other organizations do it separately where they are concerned about people automating things and data leakage through automation. So understanding the capabilities that are there for um, Power Apps, Power Automate primarily, uh, Power BI, it's part of the Power Platform, but I kind of keep it kind of to the side. Um, I have seen them push out Power BI um, outside of the Power Platform. Um, but it's usually to a smaller subset of people. I haven't seen many organizations push out a Power BI Pro license to everybody. Right. Um, they want to understand the data policies that are there for, you know, restricting corporate data versus non-corporate data so that I can't, you know, in literally 60 seconds create a flow that every time I receive an email from my CEO, I immediately post it to Twitter. Right. right. You, you don't want people to do that. Personal email or take your work documents and forward them to your Google Drive. Exactly. exactly. So you want to avoid those things. Um, and then uh, understanding the, um, the the ramifications of people purchasing their own licenses uh, for uh, Power Apps or Power Automate or Power BI. That is we a big thing. So I'm we setting up because this is a big thing. Um, <laughs> if you're working for a large enterprise, uh, which I do. Um, this is something that um, I understand why uh, Microsoft decided to push out a model where people could purchase their own licenses independently for the Power Platform, because it makes sense, I think, for them to enable users, and certainly from a revenue generating perspective. But from a large organizational perspective, the very first thing that we pushed Microsoft on is we have to be able to shut it off. Oh, we yeah. have to shut it off because can you imagine having an employee somewhere use their personal credit card or use uh, a um, a company credit card to pay for a license, implement that license, the administrators or the tenant administrators have no idea what's happening. And what if that employee um, forgets to file any kind of an expense report for that expense and now they're paying for a license personally? that yep. the company is actually utilizing or oh, what yeah. happens when they leave the company and then suddenly what happens to that license and the capabilities from an organizational perspective it's fraught with all kinds of legal and oh, yeah. even expense planning and financial management issues yeah and you as an organization the organization would be liable for any damage or data leaks or data breaches that occur as a result of that person using their personal credit card to buy a license and use it to do whatever with corporate data, right? Like to me, that's a huge, uh, huge risk. And I haven't seen a single customer that wants that. Every customer we talk to wants to turn that off. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I've, I've taken the, the crawl, walk, run approach with um, M365 deployment as well. Um, and every every project has a timeline and has a budget. Typically, they want to move into the cloud. 
they want to have exchange, they want to have collaboration, they want to probably move either SharePoint on-premise or share network drives into SharePoint, and then they want to explore more. So I've always uh, suggested to go with, at the end of the project, let's do a phase two approach and we can enable Power Platform. During every time, every time I do, even though if I am migrating into SharePoint and Teams and I go and take one team at a time and it, and I take the crawl approach with that implementation as well, onboard each team to SharePoint and Teams. And then I have uh, a wish list kind of thing. Uh, when you start talking to the business users, they start asking, we want forms, we want automations. And I say, okay, let's park this. We're going to get back to that at the end of my, our migration project. And we're going to enable you and we're going to automate everything for you. But let's take it at the end instead of doing it at the beginning. Yeah. You've there actually reminded, oh, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Um, there are so many things, especially with Power Automate, that I think really require governance discussion from a company perspective. Um, Antonio, you hit the biggest one, which is there are so many third-party connectors, and you have to determine from a governance perspective what you're going to allow and what you're not. Um, I know many organizations where they've gone in and disabled all of the third-party connectors where you can't get out to Google Drive, you can't get out to Twitter, you can't get out to any of those types of locations. And then you have your premium connectors, and a lot of those are very useful because they connect to other systems that you might use. Uh, Salesforce is a great example. A lot of companies yep. have Salesforce or ServiceNow. But then um, this brings up interesting security questions because are you going to allow people to purchase premium connectors? Are you going to charge it to their department or their cost center? Yeah. And now you're passing data from Microsoft 365 potentially to Salesforce or ServiceNow or back and forth. Has your security team or your architecture team reviewed that to make sure that they're okay with passing that data yeah. exactly. to some of those locations? And companies, I think, should take the time to examine those before they light them up and say, before anybody starts using a Salesforce connector, we want to validate and know and approve a Salesforce yep. connector being used. Yep. It, it brings up some other issues too, where you start using the ServiceNow connector, for example. The ServiceNow connector does not have a trigger where you can trigger a flow when um, a new record is created in ServiceNow. Right? That doesn't exist. So if you want that functionality, you have to build a custom connector. So imagine people go off and do that. Um, that requires a certain level of access. But once you do that, or if you make an HTTP request through a flow, you're now into premium licensing, right? Um, so that's an additional cost to the company. And, and imagine your run rates if you created, for example, and oftentimes what I hear is people want to uh, run a Power Automate flow when a new incident of a certain type is created in ServiceNow. Well, yeah. in order to check for that, every time you have an incident created in ServiceNow, you're running a Power Automate flow. Think of the volume yeah. usage. Yeah. Where you have reminded me though, we do have another client where we're helping them. They're smaller, uh, they're a parent company of a much bigger organization, but we are helping them move into Microsoft 365. And in their case, um, we are, you know, we've done identity, we uh, have done email, um, we are looking at moving into um, SharePoint and Teams. But as part of that, we introduced the concepts of automating various tasks that different departments have. And we did a number of demos and showed them uh, various interesting various interesting um, scenarios where um, different departments could gain a lot of benefit from automating things. And as soon as they got a taste of that, 
Um, they wanted more, oh more, and of they course. wanted more. Yeah, and I found that with several organizations, as soon as they get a taste of a little bit of automation, it it kind of snowballs on itself, and you suddenly you know want to do this a lot. Um, now the way so so because of that, um, it has been incorporated into the initial launch of Office 365. As we go through different departments, and we talk to them about migrating their content. We're also talking to them about what use cases do you want to automate, um, and helping them build that in the Power Platform. Um, the way we're doing that, though, as part of the launch is it's not enabling everybody with um, a license where they can go off and create their own flows and their own power apps. It's having a central team that's going to work with each of the departments around gathering use cases for automation, helping to build those, introducing those. So that will be our phase one of getting them into the power platform. And then later on, we would likely enable um, other people within the organization to automate once we help them to understand the data security policies and um, turning off self-service and so on. So that's an interesting way where, you know, as part of that, that moving into Microsoft 365, an early service is the Power Platform in their case. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what about switching off of Power Platform, what about Yammer in this equation? Where does Yammer fit and where do you introduce it? When do you introduce it? So this is interesting because I was thinking about things like Yammer and Stream in particular, and we haven't touched on those yet. And I've seen companies do it both ways. I've seen them push Yammer out later in the process, um, but I've also seen companies where they push Yammer out literally as part of the Big Bang when they push out um, SharePoint Online and OneDrive and Yammer all together, and I've seen that work really effectively. Here's the thing that I think is interesting about Yammer. I think a lot of, um, it ties in so much to the company culture. And if I think back at the three or four companies that I've worked with over time, those companies behave so differently in terms of the company culture. One great example, I've run user groups at multiple companies. At one company, user groups were where people came together, we offered remote attendance, but everyone who lived in the city where we ran the user group events came into the office in person. 80, 100 people at a time, the only people who were remote who were, were those who were geographically not in our location. Next company I go to, um, I started up a user group. Even though most of the people were in the same building, they wouldn't come downstairs to attend the meeting. They wanted to attend the meeting at that time using Skype for Business, and they wanted to be able to IM in their questions. Well, there were so many questions, we had to have not one, but two people fielding the Skype for Business chat window while someone was presenting to queue up questions. I've seen such different behavior at such different companies, and I think it's interesting because some companies really take to Yammer, uh, and some companies, I think it's just, it requires a lot more adoption planning and engagement and understanding your type of organization and how you think it's gonna fit and ideally running a Yammer pilot will help you to determine um, where it should be in that process. Okay. I think that's a good point. Like we now have Yammer in our company and we have various people that are engaged in it, but we have several false starts with Yammer where people tried to start it up and it really didn't go anywhere. And it really took a concerted effort from a planning and adoption perspective and getting a number of our executives on board and them posting to Yammer. And that seemed to attract a lot of other people to go and check it out and contribute to it. Uh, but it took probably three tries before we got Yammer really taking off in our company. Okay. I do have one other thing. Um, what about scenarios that like 
um, scenarios where we would not recommend starting with a particular a particular approach or a particular um, strategy. So for example, I've seen some organizations where they did not move email first. They moved OneDrive first. So they they moved, you know, they did identities and then they moved everyone to OneDrive. And it was a colossal disaster. Um, partly because even though they did a, a fairly significant um, adoption program around uh, OneDrive um, and training and so on, um, without email there, it was a much, um, there's two, there was two issues that happened. One, for a lot of people, it was a much harder thing to move to the cloud for OneDrive. Um, you know, having the first thing that you do in the cloud be OneDrive is a very different experience than the first thing you do in the cloud be email, right? Because if it's email, it's, I'm still using Outlook the way I do every day, right? I might sign into my laptop slightly differently, or maybe not. Makes um, people feel more comfortable. That's right. It's very much like I used to work. Oh, and now I'm in the cloud. Oh, that's great. Okay. And then the next service being OneDrive, it's a, it's a much easier thing to move to it that way, whereas OneDrive was much more difficult to do first. Um, and then the other reason why OneDrive was difficult for them was, um, they and this, this points to some serious governance issues, they had people that would um, request a service account, for example. And uh, OneDrive, uh, you know, that service account was given a SharePoint license for some reason. And people used the OneDrive on that service account to um, collaborate with other people as if it was a SharePoint site, right? Wow. So they would do full oh collaboration in a OneDrive space. And it's like, no, it's not meant for that. And they yeah. ran into all kinds of issues with data being in there and people accessing it. And, you know, people would leave, but it's a service account. So it still stays around for a long time. So. Well, that's because of a lack of understanding of the uh, service, of the lack of the SharePoint service that did not have access to SharePoint, they used OneDrive as a collaboration space. I think it was a combination of those things. Okay. I think they got some some recommendations from someone, um, uh, from some either consultant or from someone, you know, someone internally, and they decided, yep, we're going to go this way. And uh, it came down from above. And it was forced down and everybody, we're going to OneDrive first. Yeah, yeah. Sure do that. So I don't tend to recommend that. I think email first is easier for people to understand and could see. Um, and there are a lot of services that are dependent on email, right? Like notifications are sent through email. Uh -huh. So if it's not in the cloud, that makes it harder to do that. Very true. Okay. Well, that was a really good journey uh, towards M365 and where to start. Thank you both for a lot of good information. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.